0: Hi, everyone. My name's Mark. I'm one of the ministers here. And today we're continuing our sermon series in the New Testament book of James, this fiercely practical, punchy little letter which exhorts us to live out our faith in Jesus Christ, not just to profess it, but to actually practice it. And here in chapter two, James starts to get very specific. We can see the central key command in verse one. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. In other words, if you want a mark of genuine Christian faith, if you want a mark of the genuine Christian community that is living out its faith, then here it is. No prejudice, no bias, no partiality, no favouritism at all. Now I think at one level we get this. If you've ever been in a class at school where someone else was the teacher's pet getting preferential treatment over you, or perhaps growing up your siblings seemed to get away with murder whilst you were the one always getting told off, or perhaps at work an employee gets promoted not because of their talent or some previous success but purely because of who they know, then you will know something of the injustice of favouritism and the hurt and the division that it can cause. I came across this week a famous 2011 study from Georgetown University which said that a massive 92% of senior business executives have seen favouritism at work. In other words, it may be all around us in the world, but James says it has no place within the church. And our passage gives us three reasons why. First, because favouritism reveals an inconsistent faith. Favouritism reveals an inconsistent faith. Uh, Take a look at verse 1. James says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. The world may show it but the world does not believe in Jesus Christ. You know that God does not show any favouritism, and so you must not show it either. James's letter may be direct, may be demanding, but James is still warm and pastoral in tone. He calls those he's writing to, "My, my brothers, my sisters, this reminder that we are equal members in the family of God. No one more valuable than anyone else. No one to be given preferential treatment over another. Did you know that Jesus Christ is mentioned only twice in this letter? Right at the start, chapter one, verse one, and then here. And this is the only place in the whole Bible where Jesus is described as the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, we are meant to take note. Because if there is any doubt in people's minds why favoritism has no place in the church, then all we have to do is look at the cross, the hour of Jesus's glory, and him dying for all those who believe in him, no matter their racial, social, economic status. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ becomes a Christian brother or sister and equal member in the family of God. To have faith in Jesus Christ you simply cannot show favouritism. But, verses 2-4, to that is exactly what you are doing. I'm not sure what you made of this example that James gives of these two men coming into church, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man with all this expensive fine clothing and jewellery this poor man with filthy clothes and nothing to his name. And the rich man gets all the attention. Ah, oh, come sit over here at the front and let's make sure the collection plate passes him. But then the poor man is ignored, discarded. Oh, can you just stand at the back, sit on the floor? and Don't want him messing up our, our nice pews. And James could not be more strong in verse four with his assessment of what is going on. He asks rhetorically, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What you have done can be categorized as evil. That is something totally opposed to God's will. You may say you believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you may say you believe in the unity of the church and equality and inclusion. But look at how you have treated the poor. That word discriminated in verse 4 is the same word used back in chapter 1, verse 6 for doubt, wavering. Do you remember that word, double-mindedness? Oh, you may say you profess faith in Jesus Christ, but can you see that faith is not being worked out? It is inconsistent. Favoritism reveals an inconsistent faith. Now, we might say, oh, this example that James gives, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's so obviously wrong. I would never do something like that, not least because no one likes to sit at the front of church anyway. But imagine a famous Christian leader, preacher, a Tim Keller, a Vaughan Roberts, whoever's well known um, to you, came along to church one Sunday, came along to inspire St. James. And on that same day, a homeless guy turns up at the same time. Are you saying you would treat them both with the same care and attention? You wouldn't be tempted with a little bit of, oh my goodness, look, who's turned up to to church. Look who's over there. Would you be just as enthusiastic with the homeless person? Ah, Tim, great to have you with us today. Who's the the homeless guy and, and what does he want? You wouldn't be tempted by that at all. You don't see that sort of attitude going on in your heart. And it's not just with rich and poor that favouritism is at play. That word in verse one is a plural word, acts of favouritism. The sooner the kids go off to jam, the better. I'm not talking to him or her after church. It's not worth it. I'll let someone else welcome the new guy. I just want to go talk with my friends. Remember when we hosted the Nations in the City conference year before last and a black pastor on the discussion panel was talking about the many more theological moves that he has to make when he's invited to speak at a white majority church because of the general level of suspicion that he might not be truly Kosher or biblical enough. Now, we may say, oh, we're just being discerning. We may say we believe in a God of, of all people who can work through all people. But how do our thoughts and actions actually deny that faith in Jesus Christ? Because favouritism reveals an inconsistent faith. Well, if that is the first reason why favouritism has no place in the church, the second reason why it doesn't is because it reveals a worldly attitude. Let me read from verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Again, we can see James's pastoral concern. My dear brothers and sisters, listen, you've got to hear this. You may not think this applies to you. It does. Can you not see that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith. If you're going to honour anyone, honour them. As it is, you have dishonoured the poor. You've got to start viewing people, not through the, the world's eyes, but through God's eyes. And as for fawning over the rich, well, now you're getting caught up in the world's games, and that means you've got to play by the world's rules. And verses six to seven, is it not the rich are exploiting you, the rich dragging you to court, the rich who are blaspheming God's name. Favoritism doesn't just reveal an inconsistent faith, it reveals the worldly attitude behind it. Now think for a moment of the life of Jesus Christ. What is it that people find so attractive, so compelling about him? Is it not because Jesus did not play by the world's rules, get caught up in the world's games, but Jesus sees people in a way that is so different to the way the world sees them. So Jesus did hang out with the rich, the important, the religious authorities in the temple, but he didn't fawn over them. He did not pander to them. He spoke truth to power. He called them to repentance. do you think of Jesus, his attitude to, to children, often ignored in society, the, the disciples shooing them away. No, don't disturb the rabbi. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Let the little children come to me. The Samaritan woman But the well, the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair, people look down upon them, scorn them, but Jesus treats them with respect, forgives them, go in peace, your faith has saved you. The leper, richly unclean, an outcast, and yet Jesus reaches out to touch him. People would often say, why does Jesus hang out with the sinners, the prostitutes, the children, the Gentiles, the poor, the marginalized, the vulnerable? Because this is who he has come for. He has come for everyone. Now, just to be clear, James is not replacing one form of favoritism with another. Um, don't show favoritism to the rich because God shows favoritism to the poor. That's not what goi- that's not what's going on here. But in a world where sinful human nature creates these barriers and divisions and discriminations, so that certain people are favored over another, and the rich are formed over and the poor are neglected, and the men are favored and the women are looked down upon. And Jews feel superior and Gentiles feel excluded. Jesus wants to make absolutely sure that we can see how we are all equally sinful before a holy God. All equally forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And so all equal members of the family of God. So can I ask, do you see people as Jesus sees them? Sinners in desperate need of grace. Do you see them as Jesus? Because he's the one we follow. He's the one who say, hey, look, my faith is in Jesus Christ. Or are we still viewing people through the eyes of the world and what they can get for us, basing people's worth and value on how attractive they are, how talented they are, what they can bring to the table or help us to get ahead. Favoritism reveals a worldly attitude. Well, the third and final reason why favouritism has no place in the church is because it is sinful. Favouritism reveals a sinful heart. James says in verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James wants his readers to see just how serious the sin of favouritism is. You know the central command in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself. Yeah, yeah, James, we know that. And you know the way Jesus fulfilled it in the royal law. So it's not just murder that's wrong, but anger is wrong. Anything that is unloving is wrong. Yeah, yeah, James, we know that. We preach that. We're doing right, as you say. And James says, no, you're not. Because with your favouritism, you are breaking this law of love. You are a lawbreaker. This is sin. Now, do you see how serious this is? It does not matter how doctrinally sound you are. It does not matter how much you listen to God's word. Are you actually doing what it says? and loving people, and loving all people. It does not matter how faithful you are being in other areas of your Christian lives. 4 verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And favouritism is in the same category as this part of the law. It is really, really serious. Favouritism, discrimination, it simply has to stop in the church. It has no place whatsoever in it. Now, for those of us from an older generation where It was quite the norm in the world and society previously to maybe make um, sexist, racist, homophobic um, comments, jokes and have that sort of attitude. And perhaps we didn't see it like that at the time. And perhaps we still don't see it like that uh, today. Just a bit of fun. I'm just joking around. I hope you can see that even if it was previously just a bit of fun in the world's eyes, it was never a bit of fun in God's eyes and it has no place in the church today. On the other hand those of us from a more younger generation who are more attuned to racial and social injustices have grown up in an individualistic culture where the world often tells us to think about what's in it for me and what can I get out of a situation. Pete and I were just reflecting this week how we've never had anyone leave Inspire St James because it was too diverse but we have had people leave the church and they've said, well, because there, there aren't enough um, students, there aren't enough singles, there aren't enough people like them. But is that not this similar attitude that James is speaking against here? I wonder how many of our conversations you know, in them, how much are we generally there for the other person and listening to the person and loving them and um, <clears throat> not concerned about what we get back Um, from it even if we get nothing in return because so often in our conversations you know we'll choose people who and discard others and based on what we can get back and based on what's in it for me but that is not true love not true Christian love which is about giving not about getting and receiving. Think of the people that you have over for dinner of course you can't have everyone The church of our size can't have everyone um, around got to choose some and not others but out of all the people that you do have over, if we saw you all together in a group, what would that group look like? Would you all look the same? Would you all be in a similar stage of life? Would it be a very homogenous group? And so are you inadvertently favouring some people over others within the church based on whether they are like you or not? Now, I consider myself very much in the middle of the younger and older generation, so I'm having to deal with both these problems. But what? is the favouritism, the discrimination for you? Where are you tempted to fall into this attitude and this action? Because do you see how serious it is? Any form of favouritism, any form of discrimination, it is sin and it needs to stop. So how is that going to happen? Well, look at how James finishes in verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And James can't help but finish on this gracious note. As we are brought back to the cross, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf for our sin. Jesus becoming poor so we might become rich. Jesus being judged so that we might find mercy. It is at the cross that we see just how sinful we really are, that all our righteous acts are but like filthy rags to the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah puts it, that we, spiritually speaking, are no different to that poor man in verse 2 with nothing to our name before God. But it is also at the cross that we see just how loved we are, as Jesus gives up his glory bears our sin so that we might be clothed in robes of righteousness through faith in him, brothers and sisters, equal members in the family of God. This is what we need to grasp more and more and the more we do, the more we appreciate how God has treated us in Jesus Christ's world, the more we will treat others in the same way, free from bias, free from prejudice, free from partiality, discrimination and favouritism will be no more. Well, let me pray that for us now. Father God, thank you for showing us today just how serious the sin of favouritism is. How it reveals an inconsistent faith, how it reveals a worldly attitude, how it reveals a sinful heart. And I pray that you would help root it out of each of our lives as we appreciate at a deeper level the way you've treated us in Jesus Christ. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen.